0: Broadcasting live from the Business Radio X studios in Atlanta, Georgia, it's time for Top Docs Radio, brought to you by Hyperbaric Physicians of Georgia, a comprehensive wound resolution, and UHMS-accredited
1: hyperbaric medicine practice, with four offices to serve you. Find us on the web at www.hbombga.com, Facebook and Twitter at hbomdg.
0: Good afternoon, everyone. It's C.W. Hall, your host here on Top Docs Radio. Thank you very much for making us a part of your afternoon. Very pleased to be joined in the studio today with three uh, highly regarded specialists from the Atlanta community today. Uh, The topic is one that I think is really important and uh, valuable for the folks out there in the community to know more about and to be talking about. Uh, We're going to be talking about, um, you know, avoiding lower extremity amputations uh, in at risk populations um if you look at the U.S. alone, there's over 20,000 lower extremity amputations going on in a month. That's a lot of people that are losing a good par- portion of their lower extremities. As many as 68% of those people have not had a basic vascular study that's not even invasive in nature to determine if they have some vascular disease, for example, that uh, one of our guests here today uh, would be very readily able to reverse and, and uh, help save that extremity. So. Um, we're, we're very pleased to have with us today uh, from Village Podiatry Centers, I have Dr. Muhammad Sheriff. Thanks for having me. Thanks for being here today. I've got Dr. Doug Redd, an uh, interventional radiologist from the Advanced Vascular Resources Group of Atlanta.
2: CW, thanks for the invitation.
0: And I'm also joined by one of my colleagues from Hyperbaric Physicians of Georgia, Dr. David Schwegman.
3: Glad to be here. Thanks for having me.
0: So. What I'd like to do is we've you know we got a panel of experts here that end up facing a patient who's got uh, an at-risk lower extremity or, or their leg or foot um, has a problem going on that may end up causing them to lose port, port, a portion of uh, their foot or, or even uh, most of their legs. So we're going to try to get in and talk a little bit about what is the experience for this patient when they get into uh, what is, a, you know, a multi-specialty team as this, as it in, in our experience typically is required to have the best outcomes where we have a variety of specialists each contributing expertise and treatment to a particular facet of that patient's care. Uh, for so many of those folks, it's rare that it's just one element uh, that's awry that needs to be fixed to uh, save their lower extremity. So I'll kind of start off with uh, our, our podiatric expert, Dr. Sheriff. You know, take me through the, the patient that typically comes to you. I mean, I'm sure a lot of them are diabetic in nature, but not always. Right. What what does that typical patient look like who comes to you and you're starting to wonder, wow, based on what I'm seeing, whether it's a wound that's in place or my physical exam gives me some ideas that uh, this limb is one that we're going to have to be concerned about, be aggressive with to to, to keep from having some amputation or to right. minimize so, one.
1: You know, I, I really think as a podiatrist we're – probably the primary care providers of lower extremity. And so we see all kinds of patients from patients who are about to develop wounds or uh, patients who have other, of course, uh, or any other uh, lower extremity issues. But in terms of um, wound patients and patients who are at risk of developing um, uh, limb loss, um, most of them, of course, have diabetes. So with increasing prevalence of diabetes, we see more and more of these patients. Of course, not every diabetic will have um, a a loss of limb, but definitely they're at risk. And so when we see a patient who possibly has a wound, uh, our first job is to make sure that uh, uh, we are addressing what prevents the wound from healing. So a few things that prevents the wound from healing would be uh, abnormal pressure uh, on the foot. So most of these patients have an abnormality in their foot, so they have a biomechanical fault that puts them at risk of developing a pressure wound.
0: So it's it's the shape of the foot is actually starting to foot, change.
1: Correct. So like, you know, I'm sure patient, you know, everybody has heur- have heard of hammer toes or bunion deformities or right. someone with a very low arches or uh, anyway, some some kind of a deformity causes ap- abnormal pressure to develop, which puts the patient then at risk. Now, um, at the same time, the patient may also have uh, some kind of a, a blockage in their blood flow, which puts them at further risk of breaking down or developing infection. So, first, uh, uh, The first thing we usually do is to make sure we take the pressure off, what we is what we call offloading, uh, with either a surgical shoe or a surgical boot of some sort and make sure the wound is not infected. Uh, we provide a serial debridement, so most of these wounds need some kind of a surgical debridement if the wound is not clean enough. And obviously we will evaluate to make sure they have blood flow. And uh, and sometimes it's, you know, I think... Um, even if you can palpate a pulse in diabetic, it's not always doesn't mean that they have good blood flow, and that's something that I think very important for all physicians or anyone who's involved in wound care to know that um, everybody, who, anyone with a wound, should be getting a formal uh, uh, evaluation in their arterial flow, basically.
0: So when. I present to you, and and you you're taking a look at me. Particularly if I've got a wound in place, I assume that m- most of the time when a patient is referred to you with the wound already in place, they're probably coming to you from like a primary care physician of some kind, or great. or perhaps maybe a, a podiatrist that f- saw them that doesn't really focus very heavily in you know the the wound correction of wounds. Um, I I assume that that you're you're thinking right away, you know, because obviously diabetes is going to damage our vascular system, we know that. Um, so you're, you're, it sounds like you're kind of thinking right away that I've got a. that's one of the Absolutely. first things I need to take a look at.
1: I think the one thing that I think is very important, there needs to be a sense of urgency with mm. all these patients. So you'll be amazed of how many patients, you know, we all see uh, that they've had this wound for months. <laughs> yes. And doesn't hurt really bad. Correct. It doesn't yeah. hurt because, you know, of course they can't feel anything, but It's just amazing that patients have had these wounds for a long time, and there's no sense of urgency. And so um, because, you know, we do this quite often, you know, anyone with a wound that comes in, they'll have to be urgently, you know, managed. So we would go right away to a vascular workup, pressure reduction, and wound care.
0: And I think that one of the things that uh, a lot of folks out there may think about when we talk about a wound, uh, you know, I know in my mind I tend to think of some kind of big, you know, amazing. Oh, that's terrible looking wound. But it, for many of these patients, it comes from something simple. Like uh, I went out and, and I had a new pair of shoes on. I hadn't really worn them very long. And we went for a walk in the park. I came back. I had a blister. And it Great. was just, you know, smaller than the tip of my pinky. And now it's still here. Great. Still the same size. not even half an inch across. And yet it's just not going away.
1: That is true. And, it's and not,
0: and- not necessarily a big one.
1: Correct, and you know the other thing, issue is that patients are very, um, a lot of them are immune suppressed, so the body doesn't produce a, an inflammatory response, so it may look fine from the outside, but on the inside they may be brewing an infection. They um, so that's why it's you cannot always go by the clinical findings. You have to really do other imaging modalities to be able to figure those things out. But and they can go south very quickly. So if someone could have a wound for a few months, and within a week sometimes they develop a severe infection where it would cause a limb loss.
0: So when you when you evaluate the patient, you're trying to determine if they have a, a component that is related to their vascular status. Do they have blockages? Always. So you're looking at their pulses. You're feeling those with your hands. And now, are there other types of tests in your office that you're going to be doing, or are you sending that patient to another specialist to get some tests done that that uh, that you wouldn't do in your office? Sure.
1: So um, in our, we do actually do some non-invasive vascular studies, which. Um, um, which give us gives us a good idea of uh, what the blood flow is, but usually, um, if they do have any abnormality, we will send them to a vascular specialist to for further workup.
0: And so that would be somebody like Dr. Red here.
2: That's that's correct. And uh, really, the the um, sort of the deceptive thing about uh, palpating peripheral pulses is that. Um, when we image for example using ultrasound to study the arteries of the legs uh, a doppler ultrasound exam is something that we commonly do we're studying from the level of the thigh down to the ankle the large muscular arteries those are the arteries that uh, produce a pulse that you can actually palpate in the foot that's well and good those are the large pipes that typically are oftentimes open the the insidious thing about diabetes is that it affects the small arteries. Mm-hmm. Those are the arteries that range in size from about a hundred microns, a tenth of a millimeter, down to about twenty microns at the precapillary level. The arterioles are severely diseased, and it's a systemic process that does not affect just the feet. It can affect the arteries of the heart, uh, the arteries of the, uh, the carotids going to the brain, the arteries of the kidneys and such, a, a systemic disease process. Even though you palpate a pulse at the foot, the dorsalis or the posterior tibial artery, you've got to look at the capillary perfusion. That's mm-hmm. going to be more of a metric of how healthy or how diseased the small arteries are. And those are the ones that are nourishing the wound that's trying to heal. So you can kind of see
0: that by when you kind of push on the tissue and it kind of turns white. Does it get pink again pretty quick? Typically,
2: we'll do what we call a capillary refill test. Mm -hmm. You know, we gently sort of pinch the toe or the forefoot, the midfoot, the hindfoot, and gently blanch those tissues so they sort of turn white. And then we release that mild pressure and just watch that uh, pink color return. That should come back pretty fast. Ideally, uh, a normal capillary refill time is two seconds or less a sort of a, a borderline in between capillary refill time is two to three seconds. Anything over three seconds, I start worrying about. And when we're seeing patients, for example, that are coming from Dr. Sheriff that have refill times in the hind foot of five, six, seven seconds, wow. we already know that one of the three arteries that supplies the foot is severely diseased, even though a pulse might be palpable on the foot.
0: Well, I, I and I think that that element right there uh, is one that probably is is a big contributing factor to the statistic that was mentioned in the open, and in, in terms of how many patients end up with an amputation that never got anything Absolutely. more than their their pulses palpated, is because a provider who had great training and they trust their s- clinical skill set. I right. felt the pulses. I could clearly feel the pulse. Um, so surely they didn't have vascular disease that needed to be opened up again because, you know, they wouldn't have had a pulse that I could feel like that. But yet, I've read some studies that talked about how inaccurate that can be, you know, from patient to patient and and from provider to provider. And when we're talking about an outcome that is so life-affecting as, I'm sorry, but taking the tip of my toe off is a pretty major procedure for me. So much less half of my foot or or my lower extremity in general, I'm going to want to make sure that, uh, that that this is not a vascular problem that could be fixed uh, before we go to amputate anything. Um, and so, you know, when we when we get this patient, you know, Dr. Sheriff has has talked to you. He he says, you know, I think this patient may have some risk, or I want to do some procedures that uh, maybe I want to do surgery. I just want to make sure that this is actually going to heal after I do my surgery they send them to you and and you know obviously you're talking about your clinical exam and you're going to do pulses yourself and that kind of thing in a doppler study but are there other types of tests that you're going to be looking at to evaluate what their vascular status is well absolutely you
2: know what what we're trying to do is to uh more effectively screen patients you know coming in that are at risk uh for developing ones i, I think one of the messages we'd like to get out to the to the to primary care providers is how critical or how critically important it is to at least take off the shoes. Take a moment or two, get your MA, just to simply take off the shoes, look at the foot, palpate a pulse, try and see whether or not something's palpable. Um, the, the trouble that I, I, I always uh, am frustrated by is, is simply the fact that too many of the patients that I ultimately end up seeing that have wounds that are uh, slow to heal, uh, they've been living with this condition 6, 8, 10, 12 years right. and have never had their pulses checked in that length of time.
0: Yeah, that's pretty crazy. And we know that um, 1 in 6, roughly, diabetics are going to develop a wound at some point in time. Mm-hmm. And 85% of the amputations that occur in the population occur in that small group of people. So they're obviously very much at risk. So if you can catch that, that vascular disease before they get to the wound, that's obviously going to be a big thing. And, and, and so I would assume that that's part of what your group is going to be doing is interacting with uh, groups such as Dr. Sheriffs with Village Podiatry and then also going to well, talk so, to primary care to say, hey. Well,
2: you know, listen, getting, getting everyone involved in a patient's care, the, a patient that has diabetes or not, a patient that has PAD, peripheral artery disease, it's so critical to involve everyone in the management of that patient. Communication between providers is essential. You know, these patients with uh, peripheral artery disease that have ulcers that are slow to heal, they don't just have an ulcer. That's right. They've got heart disease, they've got silent carotid disease, they're at significantly increased risk of stroke, of MI. And uh, it just takes a coordinated uh, sort of effort of the community, of the providers that, you know, uh, interface with that that, that patient to, to all be integrated in the care. And so many of these people not only have a, a PCP, but they may have a specialist, a cardiologist, an endocrinologist, a pulmonologist, you know, all of whom need to be on the same page. Yeah, I think you bring up a good point. Uh,
3: my concern is that when a lot of us are seeing an, a wound or an ulcer on someone's foot, we just sort of blow it off when in actuality that is a giant white flag that is waving saying I have carotid artery disease, I have peripheral vascular disease, I have coronary artery disease, I probably have hyperlipidemia and probably have hypertension and I need modification on every one of those things because we know that if you have a major lower extremity amputation your chance of survival five years is less than half. So 50% of people, if you have a lower extremity amputation, are dead in five years. They're not dying from the amputation. They're dying because we're missing the risk factors that cause that and not managing those things appropriately. And so it's one of these things where, just like you said, Dr. Sheriff, there there's needs to be a sense of urgency out there in the community, and both from the patient standpoint as well as the provider standpoint. And I know from, from my medical training I never was taught that. And my specialty is emergency medicine. I would think that somebody would tell me about the emergent indications of of everything. Uh, But when it comes to looking at a lower extremity ulcer or wound, there was never any sense of urgency on my part. That was discharge, send them back to their primary care physician, as opposed to me saying, holy cow, I've just identified a very sick patient that has lots of issues that need to be addressed right now. Or they're going to potentially die.
0: Here's an antibiotic. I'll see you in two weeks. And if it's still here, then I'll see you two weeks after that. Yes. I, I think that, uh, you know, that's one of the reasons why I'm, I'm so interested in having, you know, specialists such as yourselves on the show today to talk about this because, you know, I just know in our own practice how many times I've seen a patient be almost frustrated by the number of doctors that they have uh, on their care. And, and, and what I want the patient that's listening out there to understand and even the provider who may be managing the one element of these patients is that as we've already talked about right you know here today it's so rare that it's just a pressure problem um, incorrect fitting shoes for the diabetic or, or or just a problem with some vascular damage there's usually two or three you know because there's also high sugars to go along with that that we've got to get under control or things won't heal right so I I think that the for the listener out there And if you're you're one of these patients or one of your loved ones is one of these patients and they're getting managed and they keep going to the same person week after week after week and they're not one of those patients that has to also go see Dr. Red. They has to also go see Dr. Sheriff. They have to also go see Dr. Schwegman, you know, on a regular basis to move this forward, to keep it healing. That's the piece that I want for the listener to understand is, hey, that's that's also a big flag that Dr. Dr. Schwegman was talking about is that, Shouldn't I have some other people looking at this along with me? Because from what I understand, I heard the show. They were talking about the fact that usually it's a team of doctors that actually needs to fix this, and that should be the norm, I believe, in the approach to managing this patient is having each of these specialists take a look at it because rare is the time that one of, one of us can actually fix the other element, so we have to get them involved early. Early.
2: Okay. The other, other thing I'd like to stress, too, to the patient out there who's listening is that every one of them should feel enabled. To press their primary care provider: Have you spoken with Dr. Sheriff? Have you spoken with Dr. Schweigman? Have you seen the results from the tests that Dr. Red did? And uh, it, it's it's your right as a patient to uh, have adequate and appropriate medical care. So, Dr.
3: Redd, is there anything you can you tell the a patient or a patient's family? You know, we know that peripheral vascular disease is grossly underdiagnosed, and you know, knowing that sometimes having a palpable pulse isn't a sign that you don't have peripheral vascular disease. Is there anything that you tell patients or patients' families that they can look for other than putting their hand and feeling their own pulses that would maybe lead them to go push their primary care provider saying, you know, I'm concerned because I found this. Do I have peripheral vascular disease and can you work this up for me?
2: Right. Well, you know, unfortunately, so commonly um, peripheral artery disease PAD for short, is, is uh, as we've already said, a grossly underdiagnosed condition. And so often, it's just simply clinically silent. You know, as we age, we start getting some degenerative changes, maybe in our hips, maybe in our knees. It hurts when we get out and walk. And so slowly over the decades, we become less and less, less active. And it's the, it's the restriction of blood flow to the muscles, in the legs that ultimately is going to start causing symptoms like burning or discomfort when you walk which may ease up uh, if you take a few moments to rest and uh... yeah it's just being more aware of your body and uh... you know what it's trying to tell you in terms of uh, inadequate circulation uh, into the lower extremities
1: of course you know the um, claudication which is what you know the lack of blood flow produces by producing leg pain is absent diabetic patients because of the neuropathy. So what we always count on, you know, the, the fact that the patient has leg after a period of, of walking is absent. So that's why many diabetics, they don't know that they have claudication. And so, um, or, the, you know, having hair on the skin or not. And so that's what everybody gets trained on. If you have hair on your skin, you probably have good blood flow. And you'll be amazed of how many patients we see with, with hair on their skin, but they have a very abnormal vascular studies. And so Um, as you said, it's it's a silent disease. And um, of course, you know, leg pain and uh, if they get a cut on their skin and it's not healing, those are all should be the signs that they need to be looking further into this.
2: And the the reasons is I sort of uh, suggested a little bit earlier in terms of the diabetes affecting the small arteries. You know, it's not the large muscular arteries, it's the tiny ones. Those are the arteries that nourish the follicles that are growing the hair. Those are the arteries that nourish the vascular sheath that surrounds the nerve, the artery, the vein that all run together in pairs, uh, you know, uh, or triads down uh, the leg all the way into the, into the toes. Those small arteries nourishing that nerve ultimately allow that nerve to die off and it becomes neuropathic. You don't have normal feeling. You lose... The the sensation. So of, that's of, when
0: they get the numb foot that they correct. step on a piece correct. of glass and or don't a nail notice. and don't even know correct. it. Correct. Yeah.
3: Yeah. And so basically, you know, if I can kind of summarize what you're saying, is there really isn't anything you can tell a family. Correct. There really isn't anything that the layperson or even sometimes even a trained physician, if you're someone who says, Look, there's hair on the legs and I feel pulses, this guy's fine, and we'll see you in a year. Uh, you know, there isn't really anything that a patient can do uh, other than know that there are risk factors for Mm -hmm. peripheral artery disease uh, like diabetes and like high blood pressure and hyperlipidemia. Um, But in the absence of that, you really, we really do need to have a more concerted effort of
2: being proactive. Right. So, So, I I was going to say that, uh, you know, what I try to do with every patient, with every family that I interface with is try to enable them, As consumers of medicine, just be aware more of what your body is, what the symptoms you should be looking for, and don't be afraid or fearful of pushing your your primary care provider if you don't think that you're getting uh, an appropriate or adequate uh, level of attention.
0: We're talking with Dr. Mohammed Sheriff of Village Podiatry Centers, Doug Redd of Advanced Vascular Resources of Atlanta, and uh, Dr. David Schweigman of Hyperbaric Physicians of Georgia. We've been talking about ways that folks can keep their legs um, and avoid amputations, whether it be minor ones or major ones, obviously, that, uh, as Dr. Schwegman alluded to earlier, can have serious impacts on how long I live after that event occurs. So, um, obviously, prevention being one of the big things that we can, uh, you know, Put across to our patients and even to our providers. You know, for the patient looking at it, I mean, I guess we have to focus on: Are there signs that they've got pressure going on? Are they getting calluses on their foot? Do they have uh, any you know breaks in the skin that uh, that might end up being uh, turning into something that doesn't want to heal up or you know opens to the tissue below and becomes a uh, an entry point for infection? But beyond that, for a patient, you know, to you, Doctor Red, for a patient that. You know, has risk factors like um, we know that they have some vascular disease. You know, whether they they were somebody that doesn't have diabetes and they've got the claudication or the leg pain that comes on when I'm walking, or I am a diabetic in particular, and so we we know that I'm probably going to potentially develop some vascular disease. For the patient who doesn't have a wound, is there kind of a a thought that this is, you know, if you've had diabetes with uh, an A1C, which I think most of our diabetics nowadays are familiar with the term A1C, which talks about how high their blood sugars are over time, but is there a thought that if, you've, if you're this old and you've had diabetes for this long, um, we think that you should probably have this kind of basic vascular study, whether it's just looking at my lower extremities or, or, you know, I presume if you find something there, you're going to turn around and look at the heart and the, and the carotids too, because it's probably unlikely that my feet are the only place I've got problems going on. So do you have some advice for somebody well, from the, like the primary care perspective? The primary care, the,
2: the message to them is simply this. One out of three diabetics over the age of 50 has peripheral artery disease, whether or not they're aware of it, they all should be screened if we can uh, detect the disease earlier in the process of its progression, the outcomes are vastly different than neglected, untreated PAD. There was a study published recently of a million Medicare patients that had uh, PAD. Um, If they had an angiogram, there was a 90% reduction in the rate of amputation.
0: Now, the angiogram is the one where you actually put the device in. Put a catheter,
2: a small catheter through a little needle uh, puncture into the artery, uh, threaded up under X-ray imaging guidance under the fluoroscope. We have basically live imaging on a TV monitor of of the arteries, the aorta. We inject X-ray contrast and then basically take X-ray images, X-ray pictures of the arterial flow from the abdominal aorta all the way down to the toes. That angiography has been around for decades and it truly is the gold standard by which every other study is being compared when i have a patient referred in to me all of them have issues perhaps they've had uh, studies done at their doctor's office maybe it was simply an a b i an ankle brachial index a simple test where you put a blood pressure cuff on the arm measure the pressure put a blood pressure cuff on the ankle and measure the pressure and divide the ankle pressure by the arm pressure. Greater than 1.0 is normal. 0.9 to uh, 0.1 to 0.9 basically is is borderline. And below that, we start getting concerned about, you know, the condition of their arteries.
0: So that means that the pressure that you're getting at the lower extremity down around the ankle is lower than what you're seeing at the arm that's close to the heart. So it's not getting down there very well. Correct, correct.
2: And then... um, Uh, There also are other slightly more uh, sophisticated studies that can simply be done uh, where they actually measure the segmental pressures in the arteries at different levels through the lower uh, extremity. For example, they'll measure a pressure at the thigh level, at the knee level, at the ankle level, at the big toe level. And we can look at the pressure waveforms as the blood is flowing uh, into the leg. Uh, We can look at the, the drop or the segmental differences in pressure between the various levels. So we use all of these sort of uh, uh, um, non-invasive studies to sort of uh, allow us to better screen a patient who is truly at risk of having peripheral artery disease that could then be treated uh, if an angiogram was done and then some sort of endovascular treatment performed. For example, using a balloon, just like they use in the coronary arteries of heart, person having a heart attack and chest pain, cardiologists will thread a catheter up into the coronaries, inject x-ray contrast, put a balloon or a stent in to open up those arteries. That same technology is adaptable to the lower extremities. So how far down
0: can you go in a leg, you know, using that endovascular approach where we're not
2: opening up the skin with a big incision.
0: Right. You're doing it again, like you said, through a vascular access, actually. So
2: how far down can we you can, go and we open can things get, up? Uh, we can get a small catheter, uh, and we follow that catheter under uh, X-ray imaging guidance under fluoroscopy with a guide wire that's threaded through the, uh, through the center of that catheter. We can get it all the way down to basically within about maybe two inches of the big toenail, into the foot, we can do do a tibial access where we're actually accessing the arteries at the ankle level with small needles and thread catheters back up north towards the heart to allow us to open up uh, complete total occlusions. Even arteries that have been occluded for years have the potential these days with today's technology of being opened. When we see a patient that has PAD that may or may not have a slowly uh, healing ulcer. Perhaps their issue is simply uh, claudication, where they hurt when they walk. We have a ninety percent success rate of opening up those arteries and uh, avoiding avoiding bigger issues like amputations.
0: I'm sure you've probably run into some success stories along the way where somebody came to you and they, you know, had something going on where it was looking. Somebody was telling, them, "Oh, this has got to come off," and you were able to go in and actually open up vessel or vessels mm-hmm. and actually sure. see it start to heal Absolutely. and they were able to walk out.
2: Yeah. And uh, the, the the technology that exists today for minimally invasive endovascular, and that means just simply using the little techniques and tools, balloons, stents. Uh, there is a, a, a catheter or device we call an atherectomy catheter. In essence, it's like a rotor-rooter. Basically, you can go into the artery, shave the plaque off, that's causing the obstruction and actually physically remove it. In a very uh, analogous manner, if a surgeon was going to go in and perform surgery to open up that artery, you know, it would be a, a big, a long incision. Uh, they would dissect down and uh, expose the artery and then open that artery up uh, with a linear incision, scrape the plaque out, just like we do with a small catheter, and then sew the artery up, sew the other layers up, close the skin. And a patient may be admitted uh, overnight, two days. Our patients walk out three and a half hours later with just a needle puncture.
0: Well, I mean, you know, obviously, if they could get, you know, that kind of, procedure done and and save their foot and yet not have to go through the big long process of getting you know over the surgery itself I can imagine that's probably life-changing. You know CW
2: you ask about uh, you know a a patient story I saw a patient a few weeks back um, who basically was referred to me uh, he was a a, a diabetic mid-60s who basically was referred for Pulseless lower extremities both of his legs the calf ankle foot were cool to the touch on exam uh, He and his wife had sort of a fading love life over the, the previous years and he had uh, developed erectile dysfunction um, Comes into the cath lab Put a, a small catheter. That's the little plastic tube We uh, insert into the uh, artery and inject contrast and take pictures and he has near-complete obstruction where the aorta branches and sends the iliac arteries down into either leg. So we accessed the opposite artery as well, put in kissing stents across this blockage, immediately restored flow to the legs. Uh, When he was getting off the cath lab table, his pulseless, cool feet had strong pulses. They were warm. They were pink. See him back uh, a week later, and his erectile dysfunction has resolved. He's got blood flow not only to the legs, but into the internal iliac arteries, which supply the the male sex organs, prostate, penis, and others. And uh, he just simply restored flow is a plumbing problem, a simple plumbing problem that can be repaired.
0: That's amazing. So, in, in in your practice, you you don't just focus on lower extremities. Obviously, you you know you're able to address, uh,
2: you know, pretty much system wide. System wide, yes. Well, uh, you know, I've trained and and have basically done everything except for imaging coronary arteries. In, in our facility, in our outpatient setting, uh, iliac arteries, those are the arteries in the pelvis that can be blocked, can easily be opened up. Uh, we do, uh, patients may have developed a hypertension as a consequence of a partial blockage to their renal artery. That's the artery that supplies blood flow to the kidney. So going in and uh, putting a small stent across that uh, partial blockage, just like the cardiologist does in the heart, can cure the hypertension from doing uh, a renal or a stent placement, in addition to the, the PAD work that uh, we enjoy so much.
0: So, for you, with the patients that are coming to you, I mean, how often would you say that they're coming referred for, you know, something lower extremity? Are, are, are people pretty good about sending them to you for getting evaluated just for, like, carotid disease, different things like that, that they might well, need to take a look CW, at, or it uh, tend to flow...
2: Uh, Basically, the uh, sort of the referral pattern that we have working with uh, many of the uh, uh, PCPs around the city, with uh, many of the podiatrists, Uh, much of the focus that we are seeing in our current practice is is PAD. Mm -hmm. But, uh, you know, every patient that comes in, every patient that is going to need a more invasive imaging study, like the arteriogram that we spoke about, they're going to need to have had a complete medical workup, We have to receive all of the medical records uh, from their PCP, current labs. Uh, If they have a cardiologist involved, uh, a kidney doctor, a nephrologist involved, perhaps they have an endocrinologist involved taking care of their diabetes, we have to get records from all of those people and share information back and forth. Uh, I can't tell you uh, a, a number of times we have made the initial diagnosis of lymphoma, of uh, some sort of a a leukemia, some other blood disorder that is going to need additional workup. Patients walk in unknown having renal failure and don't even know about it. So, you know, again, we just have to sort of coordinate their care with all the specialists that they need to be involved with. You had talked about, you know, the
0: angiography being so accurate with regards to determining if someone has that kind of, uh, you know, vascular disease that would require a procedure. But, you know, at what point do you need that versus, you know, some of the less invasive kind of things that, you know, the ultrasound versus ABI, just from a patient's perspective, well, I, maybe it, I should start thinking about this if there is a point where yeah, they should. Yeah,
2: well, it's, it's all about, it's all about uh, uh, the matter of screening, if you would, and more or less triage. You know, we need to start by uh, being attentive to patients' uh, lower extremities, take the shoes off, take the socks off, and just, you know, see if the feet are okay at the the PCP's office. Not necessarily by the doctor. A a medical assistant or some perhaps can do that. So at least we're getting feet looked at. Uh, Probably the next step would be doing an ABI. That's the ankle brachial index we spoke about a little bit ago. The ones that have abnormal ABIs, maybe they then go on and get a slightly more sophisticated non-invasive imaging study, like the segmental uh, volume recording, the uh, PVRs that we we chatted about a little bit earlier. And then those may go on to come in to see me for a vascular consultation. It's all about just the physical exam, looking at the patient, seeing what they got, what pulses can you palpate, what are their issues. Uh, And then from there on to a Doppler study, The ones that are abnormal that certainly have uh, uh, hemodynamically significant, that's blockages that matter uh, in the arteries, then may go on to arteriography and almost often, uh, nearly all of the time, when we're going on to angiography for a patient in that same setting, we're going to be doing an intervention, an endovascular treatment to open up the arteries patients will walk out with immediate relief of symptoms when we can open up those arteries.
0: So I imagine good advice for the patient who's getting some work done. Maybe they're not fortunate enough to be in your care and and they're getting a workup for, you know, to determine if they have some lower extremity blockage, but I would presume that common sense would have it that if I get some blockages found in my legs or my feet that we also need to go ahead and start evaluating if we've not already done so for my heart and my carotid arteries, for example, make sure I'm not gonna fall over like Dr. Swegman said, not from an infection, but from a heart attack or and, a stroke.
2: And that's CW, that's why it's so critical to, to have a collaborative pro- approach uh, to working up these patients. You know, if I'm identifying a patient that has significant blockages in the arteries of the legs, the PCP is gonna know about it because I'm gonna send uh, you know the report to them. But they're going to be responsible then for then the coordination of, do they need a cardiac stress test? Do they need this, that, or the other thing? Do they need a screening carotid ultrasound done? Uh, But again, all of the care providers taking care of that patient, you know, we all need to be singing off the same sheet of choir music. Mm -hmm. We need to know how to, how we're all taking care and uh, trying to manifest the best outcome, you know, for that individual patient.
0: So when, when Dr. Sheriff, when you're working with this patient, they come to you with a, uh, you know, an at-risk limb, whether it's with a wound or whether it's uh, for a problem they've been having, maybe a primary care physician sent you somebody that's having some neuropathy and they, they were a good forward thinking primary care physician who felt like a, this diabetic, this at-risk diabetic probably should have a foot specialist managing their foot, at least just to take a look at it. I would hope sure. that, that there are some of those out there that are saying, hey, you're a diabetic, you've been diabetic for years and years. Um, you've got some calluses on your feet. I'm going to send you over to Dr. Sheriff. You don't have any problems right now, but he's the one that you need to go to for your calluses, not the nail salon, um, and let him manage it. And I'm sure that in some of those patients, that's probably when you start looking at it and go, hmm, we got some problems here, and that's when you start to interact with them. So
1: just having some good preventive care sure. with mm-hmm. you is, is going to be a good idea. So, <clears throat> yes, yeah, so we, we, we do get a lot of those patients as well, So, uh, which are most in most primary care physicians, they you know they do try to send their diabetic patients for a yearly checkup with us, and once we are evaluating them if they are at a higher risk, then we see them more frequently. So patients who are, for instance, neuropathic and they have lost the sensation in their feet, um, we see them usually every three months, uh, indefinitely because um, they have pre-ulcerative lesions like calluses, that they, uh, and uh, as I said, we do need to reduce the pressure, and just by mechanically removing the calluses, we sometimes reduce the pressure by 30%. Uh, So that's a very important part. And again, a lot of our patients are elderly. They can't really take take good care of their their feet. So uh, we do provide some uh, preventative uh, care for these patients. Uh, In addition, a lot of these patients, as we talked about, they have other medical issues, other comorbidities. And so they have, for instance, a lot of swelling in their legs. So even though they may not have a deformity in their foot, but they have a lot of swelling, and that prevents them from uh, getting into a shoe. Um, and uh, I just recently, you know, we just had a patient uh, who was admitted to the hospital, a younger younger diabetic patient uh, who unfortunately didn't have insurance and she's very swollen and she worked through her job with the shoe that she had and she developed uh, an infection on her toe. And so unfortunately by the time we she was admitted to the hospital, we had to remove the toe because within a week it was yeah. so infected. So uh, just swelling by itself could be a huge problem for this patient. So as part of our um, management for these patients, we um, obviously we can provide the diabetic or orthopedic shoes. And so we measure them for uh, diabetic shoes to, and usually these shoes are deeper and wider than regular shoes. And so they can accommodate swelling and deformities <coughs> for instance. Um, and basically we see them every three months and, you know, and a lot of times with these patients, if we don't see them, we can't help them. Yes, and um, and that's what we keep telling the patients. You know, some patients just come when they have an issue with their foot, but sometimes it may be too late. Uh, So, especially for high risk patients, they should be seeing a podiatrist every three months. You know, there are multiple studies that you know that have shown when you add podiatry to the to the um, uh, the specialists who are treating these patients, the amputation rate goes down by fifty to eighty percent. That's impressive. Uh, Very yeah, I mean, just simple. Preventative measures, basically.
0: It's so easy to overlook. We're talking to Dr. Muhammad Sheriff of Village Podiatry Centers, Dr. Doug Red of Advanced Vascular Resources, and Dr. David Schwegman of Hyperbaric Physicians of Georgia. And tell me, Dr. Sheriff, in the in the practice, if I, you know you're talking about preventing pressure, for example, by wearing shoes that are designed for the at-risk patient, particularly the diabetic. Do I have can I get that stuff right there in your in your office you were talking about it's like potentially orthotics or or sure. shoes that are specially designed to keep me from getting that wound that's going to make me
1: lose part or all of my leg. Absolutely. So um we try to of course have be like a one-stop shop for most of these patients because um a lot of it get or elderly have a difficulty with transportation so we try to provide everything in the office that we can so for instance uh, we do provide them with diabetic shoes we measure them in the office if they need something more advanced, uh, like a custom-made uh, orthotics, we also can take, you know, take an impression of the foot. Um, and um, those are the main things. I know some some people need bracing, um, and we will provide them with bracing as well.
0: How often do you run into the patient that comes to you after a pedicure and they got nicked when they were getting their nails done, and now their their toe is raging and infected? Right,
1: <laughs> you, you know, almost once a week. Almost <laughs> once a week. Um, most of them are ingrowing toenails, so they uh, are either too aggressive with the nails, and uh, patients are diabetic. Their immune system is very weak, which develops, you know, inf- infection of the skin um, to the point where if someone has poor arterial uh, blood flow, uh, they can even get tissue loss, like a gangrene. And so, they can be quite, quite uh, extensive sometimes. And uh, uh, but m- most of the ones that we see are usually infected soft tissue um, mm-hmm. after. Uh, this pedicure place, you know, when they go to pedicure places.
0: So then it, from there, can get into the bone, I guess, pretty easy, and that's when we're talking about the tip of a toe, or a toe, or Correct.
1: a ray, amputation, something and surprisingly significant for the way it started. That is true, uh, they can't, again, um, thank goodness we haven't seen too many of the bone infections, but uh, definitely soft tissue infection is very common.
0: Wow, that, I mean, you know, so the best advice, I think, for the listener, if your loved one, or you, or a patient that has diabetes, Go to your podiatrist, get you one if you don't have one, and, and then let them do the callus and nails. And,
1: you know, I always get this question in the office, should I go to this, you know, to these uh, particular salons? And, um, of course, it's a tough thing to answer, but because most of these places are not regulated, so you, you, you can't tell how clean they are. I think a safe option would be for the patient to purchase their own instruments. So if, even if they have to go, they can have them provide with their own instruments um, uh, but again, if they're diabetic and they have neuro, n- neuro, neuropathy, we usually recommend them for not n- not to do those. To do those Go
0: things. get the paint and the color done Quick. Uh, and let you Quick. actually make the nails look pretty with regards to uh, how long they are or, or not.
1: Great, great. <laughs> I understand. And also, you know, a lot of the patients have nail fungus infection, which is extremely common. Uh, most of these patients, you know, have um, a chronic fungus infection of the skin as well. So, Uh, We do start them on a comprehensive uh, antifungal, you know, management because um, it's just very, you know, that's part of the reason why they can't cut their nails is because their nails are so thick from a fungus infection. So they do have to be under uh, some kind of a treatment uh, to at least get partial clearance of these issues.
0: So we've been talking today uh, about ways that we can potentially prevent or mitigate or minimize the extent of an amputation in a patient with risk, but. Um, You know, and and we've determined the fact that, one, if I have a wound or something like that, a problem that's going on that they're starting to talk about, you know, maybe losing part or all of my leg, then a multi-specialty approach where I've got a vascular specialist, a foot and ankle specialist, a wound specialist... Um, all of which we have, you know, readily available, obviously, here in our community. You want to make sure that they're all involved in your care. So I think that that has been made pretty clear. And obviously, beyond that, we've talked about the fact that preventing things, if you're an at-risk patient like a diabetic or you're somebody that knows that you have peripheral, peripheral vascular disease, you need to keep an eye out. You need to keep looking at these things, you need to get some regular non-invasive studies to to take a look at you. But before we run out of time, because I'm always amazed the time goes by so quickly. So before we do, obviously your groups um, do things other than uh, deal with wounds. So, okay. you know, I'll start with you, Doctor Sheriff, and I'll come back to you, Doctor Red, and you guys can talk a little bit about some of the other services that you're providing in the in the uh, office that would you know be beneficial for somebody to know about.
1: Sure. So, for, for, so for as a podiatrist, as I mentioned, we're the primary care providers, and so we can take care of musculoskeletal problems uh, from bunion deformities to hammer toe corrections uh, to complicated procedures like flat foot reconstruction. Uh, some patients, especially diabetics, develop uh, what we call Charcot foot, which is a, um, a a very severe deformity that diabetics can get, which can provide you know create a very complex foot deformity. And so, from uh, binding deformity to complex reconstruction, we you know we provide that in our clinic. Uh, as I said, from um, um, nail care for diabetic patients to providing them with braces and diabetic shoes, so we, we you know we provide a, a very comprehensive. Um, um, uh, services for our for our patients.
0: I know that some of the podiatrists that I've met over time try to focus their their clinical practice kind of in one kind of zone or another, whether it's sports injuries, for example, mm-hmm. or or even you know in the heavy in the wound side of things. Um, you know, within Village Podiatry, you've got it's one of the largest, if not the largest, podiatry groups in the area. Um, do the specialists? Do you find your 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 members are kind of a across the board they specialize and provide, you know, a full spectrum of podiatry services, or do you have kind of members of the group that tend to kind of be, they, they cl- clinically focus right. in this area or another?
1: I think, you know, we, most of us do general podiatry, um, and we have a few um, who are mostly uh, surgical podiatrists, and they do, they deal with very, you know, um, um Significant foot deformities. Uh, Dr. Comasta and Dr. Broken mm-hmm. Banks—they're—they're uh, um, they're, they're heavily involved in those. To some of our doctors who mostly do, you know, wound management and diabetic patient management. So, but most of our doctors do general podiatry. So, uh, and we are throughout the metro area, and so, it's, uh, and we can, of course, um, send them to proper, you know, yeah, as, as it goes. So, you know, we can always guide the patient to the right direction.
0: So if I come to you and, and say, you, you mentioned Dr. Camessa, and I know that you know he's one that also does the Charcot foot reconstructions Correct. too, for example. It's, I, I understand you do as well, but I mean, if, if you're one of the ones that maybe, they do it, but they don't do it a whole lot, then y- your group is collaborative. So you'll be saying, Absolutely. oh, you've got this problem and that specialist over there, they, they do it all the time. They really put a lot of focus there. I'm gonna Absolutely. send you over for care. Absolutely. So getting into a group such as Village is gonna give me the best chance if I've got a foot and ankle problem, that if if not this specialist right here can be the absolute one I need, they're going to link me up with somebody in the group because you're massive. Absolutely. <laughs> so we have
1: all the right doctors in place.
0: So uh, what about you, Dr. Red? We, we've obviously established the fact that you can go in minimally invasive uh, procedure-wise and, and recon... Reconstitute the flow to a lower extremity, and you've talked about the fact. I mentioned, you know, as I was kind of looking into AVR, um, that, that you do some things that uh, correct erectile dysfunction. You talked mm-hmm. about that kind of Sorry. being an incidental benefit on one of your patients, for example. But uh, tell me about some of the other services that, uh, that you're going to provide, you well, know, sure. as, a, as a specialist. Sure,
2: CW, you know, and as you've stated, uh, I would say that the majority, probably 60, 70% of our practice currently is uh, management screening of PAD. We've established that. Uh, We also do uh, work with uh, patients that have uh, venous reflux issues, varicose veins, perhaps, maybe they have lower extremity edema and need to be evaluated to see whether or not the valves, there are multiple valves within the veins of the leg, and there are both deep veins uh, in the legs of the calf and the thigh, and the more superficial and either of those can have issues with leaky valves. So I'm sure some dermatologists like to work with
0: you to help with the the kind of the fixing of the underlying problem there.
2: And it's such a spectrum of disease that, uh, you know, can be uh, treated uh, perhaps maybe it's the saphenous vein that's problematic and it can be closed up with a closure type of procedure using either RF energy. We use laser energy to do that. Uh, but then there are varicose veins, there are reticular veins, they just simply are a cosmetic issue. Perhaps they're better treat, treated by photoablation, and some of the dermatologists around the city are, are certain experts at that. We uh, do less, uh, we don't really have a focus on a cosmetic vein practice, but it's more just a physiological right. if it's a uh, problem, issue that's resulting in, in uh, coming back. uh Another new uh, uh, procedure and technique that we're now doing is uh, the treatment of migraine headache. Chronic migraine headache is a huge problem uh, throughout the city and the nation. Uh, It's a very disabling, uh, debilitating condition where you can have patients that have uh, chronic migraine headaches that may occur every few days, that may last a day and a half or more. Anywhere, there's a a new technique whereby under fluoroscopic guidance, we actually uh, thread a small catheter up the nose and direct it into a small area where there is a, a ganglion at the base of the brain that is uh, that is responsible for much of the migraine vascular. The the nerves from uh, this ganglion penetrate the skull base. They innervate the small arteries, the small veins of the lining of the brain, the meninges, mm-hmm. and there's an abnormal feedback where. Their ganglion just sort of has their thermostat set wrong. They're too sensitive to whatever trigger may start the migraine. Anyway, under uh, x-ray guidance, we got a small catheter into the uh, little uh, fossa where this ganglion lives and basically inject uh, some concentrated lidocaine, a local anesthetic, uh, into each side of the nose, left and right. Uh, patient then lays uh, uh, supine for the procedure for 10 minutes after we're done patients can walk out headache free
0: how long does that procedure you know how long does it
2: typically uh, typically um, patients with really difficult migraine headaches Um, Usually it's going to be after the second or perhaps after the third injection. Uh, It's a return visit for another injection. How frequently do
0: I need to come for my repeat procedures?
2: Well, uh, typically what we'll do is see a patient walking in. Maybe they have a migraine at that time or maybe they're migraine-free, but we'll start with the the first injection. Uh, Routinely I'll schedule that patient to come back at either one month or at their next migraine whichever's earlier. Mm. And then we'll do a repeat injection. 80% of the patients that we've treated are substantially better. That's either migraine free or they have a significantly reduced frequency and duration of migraine headache and or they are requiring less uh, medication. To well, we'll certainly be
0: sharing that on our social feeds as well because I, I know for, I, I'm not, you know, a broad medical expert right. knowing everything, but I listen, hadn't heard of that. So it's pretty listen, amazing information is, uh, I'm glad to share. Uh,
2: this is a – technically it takes me three or four minutes to do the procedure. They're going to lay <laughs> flat on their back for another ten I'm minutes sure just and walk out. Yeah. It, it is uh, – I, I have seen a, a, a lady here in town who uh, uh, works as a estate planner tax attorney, uh, and she was – essentially disabled unable to work after her third injection she's back at work full-time she has uh, she basically uh, you know had been uh, in a situation so where she was maybe able to work one or two days a month she's now fully employed Probably working at full-time. risk
0: of losing her job i would imagine that's amazing but
2: uh, no it's absolutely amazing that's the, great the, uh, mm. the improvement we can see plus uh, you know other issues erectile dysfunction we've mentioned <laughs> Uh, you know i do a lot of other stuff uh, vascular malformations arteriovenous uh, malformations where arteries and veins are abnormally collected uh, connected and the soft tissues and we can treat that with embolization where we put in particles to the arteries to block them off or we put in a uh, an alcohol solution or other sclerosing solution that's going to scar that down and, and treat the uh, malformation. So a lot of things.
0: Amazing that, uh, you know, I'm sure that there's so many people out there that if they find out about this, they're going to be making your phone ring, um, <laughs> I would expect. What about you, Dr. Swigman, real quick, before we run out of time, when when do I need your services? I mean, I know some of the groups we've talked about are diabetic patients uh, and so forth. So obviously, if I'm uh, somebody that's got a wound that's uh, particularly one with a bone infection or a really deep uh, diabetic ulcer that's got some problems getting to a hyperbaric program is is useful. But are there some other groups out there that maybe benefit from knowing that you're here?
3: Sure. Uh, I'd say a big group is the folks that have radiation damage. So just like uh, with diabetes, you get disease of the small blood vessel. Radiation damage from cancer treatment can also uh, destroy those small blood vessels. And so these people functionally don't have very good blood flow to the tissues that have been irradiated. So oftentimes we'll have pain, we'll have ulcers, if it's your bladder, you'll have bleeding when you go to the restroom, get blood in your stools, uh, recurrent ulcers, and we can fix that problem by basically regrowing the small vessel vasculature in those tissues with hyperbaric oxygen therapy. So I'd say that's the big group. Uh, you, you already hit on the folks that have bone infections uh and folks that have non-healing wounds
0: so if i've if i've had some radiation and i'm one of those people that you know from what i understand about the radiation group that that you know some of them will develop what they call late effects of radiation wherever it was i had my my treatment um i would assume that maybe if if my problem if they're going to do some things to make my symptoms feel better maybe hurt less treat the bleeding you know obviously uh, if i'm bleeding but uh if my Symptoms last? Is there kind of a thought of, you know, if it's going on for a period of weeks or something? And when, when should I maybe think, oh, I wonder if I shouldn't, you know, look into hyperbaric medicine since it's at almost every hospital around the community?
3: Well, sure. I, I think, you know, obviously a conservative approach of treating symptoms is fine. Uh, I would give it a finite amount of time until you, if you're not feeling better, and everyone has a different threshold for that, uh, weeks, a month, I think would be an appropriate period of time. However, if you've been treated symptomatically and you're not getting better, Uh, It's because you're having the symptoms treated and not the underlying problem, which is the loss of the vasculature, and that's something that
0: can be fixed. And I've I've certainly seen some of those patients come through the practice periodically, and they're... They're amazed by the, the, you know, the fact that they get their life back. They couldn't get away from the bathroom, for example, so life-changing there. Um, and I'll go back around the room before we run out of time because I know everybody's got some online presence here, both social media and, and Internet websites. So I want to make sure that the listeners, whether they're a clinician who's listening today or a patient or a loved one of one, um, take us around the room here, starting with you, Dr. Schwimmer, We'll work our way back. What, are, what, what kind of social media and uh, Internet space do you have?
3: So our uh, web address is www.hbomdga. So HBO for hyperbaric oxygen, MD for physician, GA is in Georgia, .com. And I'll let you tell them about our, the our Twitter.
0: Our the Twitter is the same. It's Twitter and Facebook are both uh, hbomdga. So if you look up Twitter at hbomdga or Facebook, you'll find us there. Um, and then what about you, Dr. Red? You've got a website, obviously. Yes, we do.
2: Our, our, our web address is www.avrvascular. Dot com. That's com.
0: Okay. And how about uh, Twitter, so, uh, social media, Facebook? Are you on I'm, LinkedIn? I'm going to block on that. I, are I, I, you on LinkedIn also? Uh, yes, we are. What I'll do is I'll make sure, because I, I link up with... I'm sure we can get some links from you to us. I link, I link up with all of our guests, um, you know, when we... Have somebody on the show, so I'll make sure that I'm tied into sure. your your social media. Awesome. Don't mean to you know put you on the spot there with sure. that like that because uh, I have to say that the first time I was a guest on the show, I uh, I, I vapor locked on our, our website that I actually you know helped name. So you know it's going to happen. So we'll make sure that we're linked in with you on uh, Facebook and Twitter and uh, and LinkedIn as well. I believe. So if you're a Top Docs listener, and I know many people are you'll be able to link in with uh, the advanced vascular resources. What about you, Dr. Sarah? Our main
1: website, of course, is villagepodiatrycenters.com, and that has links to our Facebook and Twitter pages and everything.
0: So I can get to you on the Twitter feeds and that kind of stuff if I go to the villagepodiatrycenters.com. Okay, very good. And, of course, The Top Docs Radio listener is probably listening to us on topdocs.businessradiox.com today. Um, We're on Twitter at Top Docs on BRX and Facebook, Top Docs on BRX. Of course, uh, we mentioned the HBO MDGA website. Uh, Make sure that you share this information with somebody that you care about. I assure you there's somebody that you know that's either diabetic, has has a, a problem with migraine headaches, Uh, somebody that has uh, some issues going on with their feet and could use a good foot and ankle specialist. So please make sure you share this out there on social media and uh, follow us on Twitter and we'll make sure we get you all the links to all the appropriate websites that you need access to. Thanks so much for making us a part of your day today. We'll be right back here same time next week on Tuesday afternoon. We'll see you then.